We made it. The time has come. Week one of the football season is here. We preview the Jets matchup in Buffalo with the Bills on Sunday. Can gangrene open the season with a victory? Kaz and I examine the 53-man roster, give our predictions for the Jets this season, and make our Super Bowl predictions. Also, we chat with the great Jets play-by-play radio voice on ESPN Radio New York. It's Bob with shoes in. All that and a whole lot more next on Gangs All Here from the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome back to Gangs All Here, our New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown, alongside my co-host, Jets beat writer for the Post, Brian Costello. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio and at Brian Cos. Stop what you're doing right now. Subscribe to the show. Subscribe to Gangs All Here on Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and write in a nice positive review and boost us up the charts. If you don't use Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get podcasts is where you can find us. We appreciate your support all season long. After this episode, as we preview the season, we'll be coming at you twice a week. So the first episode will come Sunday night, Monday morning. It'll be ready for your morning commute on Monday after the Jets' bills, and then we'll have our preview shows come out on Thursday for the game ahead to preview the season a little bit later in the show who better than friend of the program jets radio voice big fish fan and a big mets fan bob washusen will join us later on but cause it's here i know you do you feel like a, a kid on christmas morning football is days away and you're gonna make the beautiful drive up to buffalo in a couple of days <laughs> don't remind me of the drive jake yeah no it's, it's hard to believe it's here kind of it's a weird feeling this year because there was so much uncertainty all spring about whether this would happen. And then you kind of had this rush training camp. Um, so I, I was talking to somebody from the Jets the other day and just saying, like, doesn't really feel real yet. I, I don't know when it's going to hit me that that it's really here. You know, like, and like you said, it'll probably hit me somewhere between Scranton and Binghamton on Saturday afternoon when I'm making the drive up to Buffalo. Uh, usually fly to Buffalo, but this year we're going to take the drive and then go the scenic route. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, you know, it's exciting that football is finally here. You know, we made it. Uh, it didn't, didn't seem possible at some points, but but here we go. Yeah, and I'm really surprised it's going to work out well for now with teams traveling. No bubble. It was harder with football to pull off a bubble, I think, because I don't even know where you could find that many football fields in one city in one location to pull it off do you think that was kind of impossible yeah it's impossible especially the numbers jake uh, you know in training camp they they cut down the number of players to 80 but then you're all you're talking about over 100 staff members uh, of people that have to be there every day it's different than baseball or basketball or baseball didn't even really bubble basketball or, or hockey the numbers are much smaller there. I will say the travel thing now, you know, starting with the season, some people are like concerned about the travel, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal because the players, basically what the teams are going to do is they're going to go from the facility on a bus to the airport. You know, they don't have to go through TSA pre like you and me, Jake. They go right to the tarmac. They get on the plane. When the plane lands in Buffalo, they'll get off the plane, get on a bus, go to their hotel, and they won't leave the hotel until they go to the game the next day. And then right after the game, the buses go right to the airport and they'll fly home. So it's not like baseball where there's a lot of 
time where, you know, players can kind of get into some trouble. These guys are not going to be leaving their hotel unless they're doing it without permission. You know, I think it's got a lot better chance of, of not having any outbreaks once they're on the road like baseball have. Can't wait till we have the first Instagram model with a hoodie on dressed as a football <laughs> player to happen once again, as that happened to yeah. the Seahawks, to a, a rookie who I have no idea what he's doing, trying to make a roster, and he's trying to pull off those shenanigans. In the day of TMZ and cameras, that will not fly. Let's hope the Jets are laser-focused. Where, where do you stop on the drive to Buffalo? I know you say the scenic route. I don't know if you get past <laughs> some bison and horse on the way, but uh, is there a, you know, a wing spot that you got picked out there? Uh, I've only done the drive once, Jake. Uh, I drove once back. I think it might have been the end of that 2015 game I drove back after. I can't remember the end of the season. It was started snowing, and I was worried that my flight wouldn't get back. Uh, and I had to get back because the next day was going to be baggy day where everyone was clearing out the lockers. So I drove back that time with Vicaro, actually. You know, you, you go through beautiful scenic Binghamton. I think I could stop there and pass that. I don't know where I'll stop. And there's, there's not a whole lot of places to stop right now, Jake, because I'm not allowed, you know, there's not a whole lot of things open <laughs> at the moment. I don't know. I, I'll enjoy the solitude, I guess. Enjoy some quiet. Listen, listen to some podcasts on the way up to to Buffalo. He'll listen to Gangs All Here's podcast. There you go. Week. Get it, get him ready for the drive. What do you listen to? What is what is the cause music? What's what's your playlist looking like on the way? I have a, a very eclectic uh, musical taste, Jake. I, I love I like some classic rock. I like you know like Zeppelin. I like metal. I'm a Metallica guy, big Metallica guy. So kind of uh, all over the map. Uh, a lot of different stuff on my playlist. I'm just picturing you on that uh, the, the drive after the uh, accident pulled over on the way to the fake spike game, and your your hair's rocking <laughs> back in the day to Metallica. I'm just picturing. Yeah, no, I wasn't driving that day, so <laughs> somebody else driving. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting because the Bills are, you know, to a lot of people are considered the division favorites. I know the Patriots yeah. are right there with them, but this is a weird year where. You know, a lot of predictors, and I'm going to predict it when we give our predictions, I think the Bills are the team to beat in this division. They add Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, another year under his belt, a top-five defense. It's bizarre to go in a week one Jets-Bills and look at the Bills as the far superior team. Yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> probably since the 90s. That, that we've seen this, you know, with the Bills. But personally, Jake, I think the Bills are extremely overrated. You know, I've, I've gone back, I've watched their entire season from last year, and two things stood out to me. They had incredible luck health-wise last year. Like, they really didn't lose any of their top players to injury, uh, which you don't usually do that two years in a row. So it's hard to predict, like, they're going to have this injury or that injury. But to me, they're due for some injuries because uh, they didn't have any last year. And they played a really easy schedule. You know, what do we always hear when we bring up the Jets went 6-2 and two against in the second half of the year? Oh, they played no one. Well, guess who the Bills played? The same teams. So if you look at their schedule, they really played no one last year. They went 10-6. and six. Uh, you know, their best, their best wins were over the Cowboys and eh, Steelers eh, and they beat the Titans early in the year when the Titans had Mariota at quarterback and really hadn't found their way. So to me, they, they're not as good as everyone's making them out to be. I, I have a lot of questions about Josh Allen still. Uh, obviously, Stefan Diggs is very talented, but Minnesota is a pretty good organization and they gave up on him. You know, so I think you got to say, why is that? The defense looks good, but they lost some people from the front of their defense. Shaq Lawson was really good for them last year. Jordan Phillips was good for them last year. They're gone. Renzo Alexander retired. He was a key piece for them. So uh, I'm not as high on the Bills as everybody else is. And they have some tough games this year, as you talked about their schedule. Last year, they play the Rams. They play the Titans, Chiefs, obviously the Patriots twice, the Seahawks. 
the Niners, the Chargers, the Steelers. Some tough games in there. Even the Broncos aren't going to be a shoo-in with their kind of revamped offense that they had in the draft as I, you know, I took Jerry Judy as a sleeper in my fantasy draft as I think he might uh, be their number one guy in Denver. So not a lot of easy games for them. That is interesting. That is a hot take, I'd say, that they are a little overrated. Well, Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the schedule this year, Jake, though, that you have to keep in mind. Pretty much all those teams you named are the teams the rest of the IFC East plays. The only there's only two games that are different for each team so that everyone understands the way the schedule works. Everyone in the division plays the same teams in the NFC. So they're playing all the NFC West teams that you name. They play the AFC uh, West this year. They play all the AFC West teams. And then there's two teams, the AFC North and AFC South, where you finished in the same place in your division. So the Bills will play the second place team from the AFC North and AFC South. The Jets will play the third place team. So th- that's the only difference. So with, with that being said, you know, the Patriots, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bills, they all have a tough schedule. If you look at those schedule rankings, they're all in the top five because largely because they're playing the NFC West because that's such a good division. So, I, you know, I think the AFC East this year could be like a nine and seven division winner because the schedules are going to be, I think they're so, they're so tough this year. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be somewhere around there between the Patriots and Bills and the Jets and Dolphins behind. I know some experts have the Dolphins finishing ahead of the Jets. It's going to be a dogfight for that last place spot between the Dolphins and Jets. I think they could end up tying Joe Douglas, you know, he's talking about teams are disrespecting guys are angry. They see what they're saying about the Jets. But listen, especially with the lack of practice time with the receivers and Sam Darnold not being able to sync up with a lot of these guys just because of injuries, you know, in this weird season, no home, there's no home fans for the Jets. Usually the home field advantage, the Jets pack that place. They get loud. They don't have that. So they don't really have any advantage this year. They really need those home fans to, you know, force false starts for opposing offensive line, force penalties and pump them up. They don't have that. They don't have guys yelling. So that really hurts a team that is average or below average like the Jets are. Yeah, they don't see themselves as average or below average. That's the difference, I guess. And it's funny, Jake, because I asked the question that got that answer from Joe Douglas yesterday and taking a little bit like inside the way the sausage is made. Like, yeah, you have to ask a question of basically like, why do you believe in your team? Why do you think this team can win? But you have to you kind of have to ask it the way you're not going to insult the general manager of the team, you know, and and I, I get the best answer out of him. So I kind of said, you know, skeptics look at this team and say, your best player from last year is in Seattle now. CJ Mosley opted out. Uh, there's really no one on this team that has a great resume outside of Le'Veon and Frank Gore. And that they're kind of, that's pretty far in the past right now, what they did. So why do you believe in this team? And that's kind of when he said, you know, he, he they hear what everyone's saying. You know, their their whole thing is they're, they feel like they're a close-knit team, you know, that's going to be able to surprise some people. And we'll see. You know, I, it's hard to see that when you're looking at a team on paper. It's hard to see chemistry. Um, I, I'll say, like, the 2015 team had better talent than this team, I think, when, you know, they went out and signed Revis and Cromartie and uh, they spent all that money traded for Brandon Marshall. But that team, I never saw the chemistry that team had. I didn't see that coming. It's something you can't really see. And I thought that team won a lot of games that year off of the chemistry alone that that they built, uh, especially in the second half of the season. So you never know. You know, we'll we'll see if they can can ride that to uh, some wins this year. Again, I really think eight games – is essentially it's 16 neutral site games. I know you're traveling, but, and I'm sure they'll pipe in crowd noise, but it is uh, for a team that just on paper, like you said, is not great. They have no way to get truly motivated except for a speaker playing noise and music. 
which might help. You know, I've been I've started to get used to it now with baseball, but I don't think the fans thing is going to be a big deal. Personally, Jake, I, I think these guys are motivated. I, I think that's you know, I think they get something from fans when if the crowd is going crazy. But I also think if these guys lined up in a, in a parking lot across the street, they'd want to play hard. But you, you don't know, think like, look at true. Seattle, cause and how loud in Kansas City, how loud it gets there and how many penalties you see. You don't think that plays a factor? Yeah, I think that is an advantage for those teams. I, what I'm saying, I don't think they're at a disadvantage because they don't have fans cheering for them, like motivating them. And, and I don't think the Jets ever had that, Jake. I did, Like you said, they had a home field advantage. I've never felt the Jets had a home field advantage in MetLife Stadium. You know, it's been the last time I remember the Jets having a home field advantage was uh, in 2009 against the Patriots when it was Giant Stadium, you know, and, and the place was loud. MetLife rarely gets loud. Uh, well, it might just, be also because the team's been garbage since MetLife opened that's pretty much. Part, that's part of it, and it's just a very corporate stadium too. You know, I, I just think they've priced out a lot of the hardcore fans. But you're right. I think teams – I think this will hurt teams like Seattle. I think it will hurt teams like Kansas City in terms of getting penalties and, and rattling the other team, not so much motivating their own team. And I think Buffalo. Buffalo is a, t- a stadium like that too. Buffalo can get crazy, uh, and there's not going to be people jumping through tables on Sundays. You know, they'll, they'll be doing it at home, I guess. So that'll be different. You know, and I think that helps. I think it really helps the Jets not having the fans this year more than it hurts them. I would pay to watch you jump through a table, whether it's outside the stadium or at your Marriott or wherever the hell you're staying. <laughs> Uh, that would be a that would be a high price ticket cost. No, I'm not jumping through any tables, Jake. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, it's going to be interesting. I you know listen. I think the Bills are the better team. If we want to predict and call this game now, guys, I think it's going to be Bills 24, Jets 17. I think the Jets will squeak out some points. Why? I don't know. I just think I don't think they're going to get shut out. I think they'll find a way. I think we're going to see Mims. Um, I know he's not going to start, but I, I think he will be out there. We're going to see Crowder. We're going to see these guys, and I think Frank Gore is going to have a big day against his former team. I see. I think he's going to have a rushing touchdown. So I see the Jets losing this game, but I think it will be competitive because, remember, both these teams and all these teams are rusty. None of them have had preseason action. They've had no games against anyone else. They haven't even practiced against other teams. It's going to be sloppy all the way around, so that's why I do think the Jets have a shot, but I think the Bills win 24-17. Yeah, I would agree with that. I haven't settled on a score yet but i think i'll pick the bills when i pick i have to pick it for the paper um the only thing i'll say jake to try, kind of play devil's advocate for the jets here is let's go back to week one last year right when they played forget the week 17 game that was a weird game um but let's go back to week one largely the same teams you know a few differences bills got stefan diggs jets no longer have jamal adams and mosley played three quarters of that game the jets were winning 16 nothing in the third quarter the jets should have won that freaking football game and they found a way to blow it in the fourth quarter and they lost 17 to 16 but that tells me is those teams were pretty even at that point i guess the question we have to ask is do you really think the bills are that much better a year later and the jets are that much worse or do you think, you know, they're largely the same? That's a question I guess you have to you have to ask yourself. So I, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I'll probably pick the Bills. I'll probably have them eking it out. But, uh, you know, the thing that scares me the most, and we haven't touched on it, is the offensive line, Jake, just not having any preseason games together. They had a lot of practice reps together. But this, this is five new starters from the beginning of last year and four from the end of last year with Alex Lewis being the only one back. That's tough, you know, and I think with a rookie left tackle, I think he's going to be good, but there could be some major bumps in the road uh, along the way. And I just think there's going to be communication issues up front for the Jets. Uh, and then you touched on the receiver problem. You know, you didn't mention Rashad Perriman, but he missed a lot of time. I expect him to play, but he hasn't been practicing in weeks. So I think there's going to be a lot of just tough cohesion problems for the Jets on Sunday. It's going to be Hogan's heroes on Sunday, hopefully. <laughs> We need Chris Hogan to uh, 
come up big. You know, this guy's been around the whole division. Uh, you can see a reality show with this guy. His times times in the AL East. AFC East. Hey, I'm still, you know, I'm you're, still you're, in You're going mode. into baseball mode now. I, I got to make the switch. You know, I get mixed up yeah. doing these Mets, Mets podcasts, <laughs> this. And, you know, it was just scary you talk about the O-line because on paper you look at the O-line as possibly their biggest strength, at least on paper, if Becton can have a big rookie year with him, Lewis McGovern, Monroe, and Fant. That's a strength, but like you said, they don't have the chemistry yet is going to be the problem. Um, the backfield was the three that we knew with Bell, Gore, and P. Ryan. as we look at the depth chart here, the unofficial depth chart. The Jets PR likes to release it. We look at that, and offense is pretty much how we thought. Backup quarterback, if Darnold goes down, is where things get iffy, cause. and we've seen Darnold go down in the past, and they had to go to Simeon. Uh, they had to go to Luke Falk. Let's hope, you know, it'd be almost impossible. I mean, in 2020, nothing's impossible. But if, if Darnold got mononucleosis again, go buy yourself some Mega Millions tickets because that would be scary to happen during a pandemic in a socially distanced era. But his backup cause, Flacco might be out till October. God forbid Darnold gets hurt Sunday. Who's coming in for him? Yeah, they, they did some roster gymnastics, Jake, at quarterback with Flacco not being ready. You know, he had neck surgery in April. He's probably not going to be ready till October. So they cut David Fales and Mike White uh, over the weekend, but then added them to the practice squad. And the way it works this year, Jake, is you can bring up a guy from the practice squad for game day on Sunday and not have to make a corresponding move so you don't have to cut anyone. So they can add two players for Sunday if they want. They can actually have 55 players and then inactives get it down to 48. Uh, so I think what they'll do is they'll probably have fails active for Sunday. They'll probably bring him up in the practice squad. Maybe it's Mike White. He had a really strong camp. I think it'll be David Fails because that's who Gase knows and trusts. Uh, and then James Morgan, the rookie, is still on the roster, but he's just not ready to play yet, Jake. They, he only, he's only had a few weeks of practice. They they don't trust him yet. So I think you'll you know for the first few weeks here, you're going to see Fails. They might they might go David Fails for two weeks, Mike White for two weeks because you can only make the move I think twice with the guy on the the practice squad before you have to make a, a corresponding move. So you know they're going to play some games here with backup quarter back but like you said they they've been in trouble without Darnold they're 0 and 6 without Darnold since he's been on the team when he get, when he gets injured Josh McCown uh played in 2018 for him and I still think they're in trouble until they get Flacco I think I think it's going to be trouble if they, if he goes down How about Josh McCown like sitting on his ranch in Texas going to make 12,000 what a week nice. to do nothing I mean nice. that's the life I want that's like unemployment on crack uh, making yeah. that much money, and he's doing I nothing. I tell you what, Josh McCown is this example for everyone of being a really good guy can pay off. You know, Josh is the nicest athlete I've ever covered, yeah, ever in any sport. The nicest guy, and I think it goes a long way for him. Like he's, I'm not saying he's not a capable quarterback. He can come in and play a little bit. Jets fans saw that, but I also think being a good guy has gotten him very far. <laughs> and I think these teams are are thinking, you know. Okay, let's have Josh around and, and keep him around. I mean, it's amazing. The Eagles are paying him $12,000 a week to sit in his house uh, in Texas. Josh McCown has helped uh, pay some of my rent when I was unemployed because my mom was his daughter's math tutor. So thank you, Josh McCown, for oh, helping helping me pay rent. <laughs> um, that was very nice of you. But, yeah, for real, nice guys do not finish last when it comes to being a backup quarterback in the NFL because uh, he really has made a hell of a career out of not doing much on the field but really uh, a good <laughs> yeah. person. 
Carson, and you know that's the Eagles' quarterback situation is very interesting with uh, with Wentz always getting hurt and Jalen Hurts there and McCown waiting on his ranch and hopefully he doesn't hop on an old uh, wild boar in the Oana Cespedes route and hurt himself and lose out on that cash on defense. Cause unofficial depth chart has Avery Williamson, but you don't think Avery's going to start at linebacker? No, it's not what we've seen, Jake, in practice. Blake Cashman's been the starter pretty solidly in in, in training camp. I think they'll probably be a nice uh, deferential to Avery, the veteran, putting him in that unofficial depth chart. I do think we'll see Avery a lot because to me, Jake, defensive players, I think there's going to be a heavy, heavy rotation on Sunday on the line, even at linebacker. I just don't think these guys can go from, you know, practice to playing 70 snaps in a game situation. So I think you're going to see a lot of different guys. Like, look, the Jets kept a ton of defensive linemen on the roster. I think they have like 10 defensive linemen. They kept four outside linebackers. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of rotation going on, and I think Avery would be part of that. Cornerback is the real interesting one because it looks like Pierre Desir, bless Austin, and then Brian Poole will be the uh, corner in the slot. What's your thoughts about cornerback? I know bless Austin, you know, showed us showed us some stuff last year. He wasn't terrible. He improved as the year went on. I don't think he's a starting cornerback. Um, but what do you think about that top three? I think it's rough. <laughs> you know, I think I like Poole in the slot. I, I think he's good. I, I think the outside with Desir and Austin is going to be an adventure. You know, I just don't like this week. Who covers Stefan Diggs, right? Like, pick it. And then the other one's got John Brown. You know, the Bills have some good receivers. So I think Greg Williams will give play a lot of cover too. I think you'll see the safeties deep now that, but that eliminates, you know, having Marcus May up there on the line of scrimmage causing havoc. You're going to have to have him deep, you know, protecting the cornerbacks. So that's the biggest weakness on the team to me, Jake is cornerback. And uh, it's going to be a problem. And the, it's coupled by the Jets don't have a great pass rush because I think you can survive with weak corners if you have a really good pass rush and the quarterback's forced to get the ball out quickly. That's not the case with the Jets. So, um, you know, I'm, I have, there's some major concerns on defense in my eyes. Yeah, and, you know, safety we knew about with May, McDougal, Davis – um, the pass rush is what's going to be intriguing to watch for me and how Greg Williams schemes it up because Quentin Williams, if this team wants to have any success, has to take a major leap this season. He needs to become a key to the pass rush, and they're going to have to bring the heat on guys because that cornerback uh, situation and that secondary, like you said, is scary, <laughs> and uh, a lot of deep balls are going to be attempted, so they can't give quarterbacks time to throw those deep balls and Quinton Williams, Henry Anderson and Steve McClendon up front have got to make a major impact, not only on uh, the pass rush, but also on the, on the rush defense. Yeah. they did great against the rush last year. They were like number two in the league against the rush. I expect that to be solid again. The pass rush is tough. You know, I mean, I was talking to a coach this off season about guys like Quinton and Leonard Williams and guys who, you know, in the interior who haven't gotten a lot of pressure. And he said, you know, tell me, you know, you guys all think because of Aaron Donald that these guys are all going to get pressure, but like there's very few Aaron, Aaron Donalds out there. Like there's not a lot of guys who are really good interior pass rushers. So we'll see if Quinton can develop in that area. I'm still skeptical, but you know, we'll, we'll see there. I think Jordan Jenkins gets overlooked a lot. You know, Jenkins had 15 sacks in the last two years. Everyone goes crazy for Yannick and Gakwe. Gakwe has 17 and a half sacks in the last two years. But, you know, he's he's like a stud and Jordan Jenkins is a nothing. It's interesting to me. So, you know, I think Jordan Jenkins will have his sacks. A guy to watch, Jake, an under-the-radar guy for me is Terrell Basham. I thought he played pretty well at the end of last year. He sprained his ankle. I'm not sure if he'll be ready for Sunday. But I think when he gets back on the field, I think he could have an impact for this team. Uh, special teams we knew about Sam Ficken, Bradley Mann, kick return, punt return, mostly Braxton Berrios 
and Jamison Crowder. Maybe we see Ashton Davis at some point, and if one of those guys gets hurt, let's let's make our picks here. Let's make predictions. We both said the Bills are going to win this week. As I go through the schedule, we talked about the Jets' schedule is tough. I think they're going to come out of the gates 0-3 to the Bills, Niners, and Colts. I think they rebound with wins over the Broncos, Cardinals, lose to the Chargers, win versus the Bills, lose to the Chiefs, lose to the Pats, win against the Dolphins, bye, win against the Dolphins. Win against the Raiders. Call me crazy. It's a it's a three-game win streak there. Then lose to the Seahawks, Rams, beat the Browns, lose to the Pats. And by my math, I have the Jets finishing at 7-9 and nine in third place in the division. I think it'll be Bills, Patriots, Jets, and Dolphins in the AFC East. All right. Well, I, I can't go game by game with you, Jake, but I, I, I say I, the Jets are going to be 7-9. and nine. I agree with you. I, I have the same record. That's what I came up with. Um, I think it might be good enough for second place. You know, I think it's going to be Pats, Jets, Bills, Dolphins. Wow. So you really are low on the bills. <laughs> I am. I, I I am a believer in you don't have two years in a row with a really good injury, really good health. I, I don't think that happens in the NFL. And so I think they are destined. I'm not wishing this upon anyone in Buffalo, but I think they're destined for some kind of major, you know, major injuries this year. All right. So we're both going with seven and nine and cause if we want to do Overall, I think it's Bills, the North Ravens, South Colts, West Chiefs, NFC Cowboys, Packers, Saints, Niners. And I think we get a Super Bowl rematch and 49ers get revenge over Pat Mahomes and his large wallet. I think it's 49ers over Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Uh, Yeah, I haven't done the divisions yet, Jay. I actually have to do that later. Uh, I have to look at that a little closer. But I am with you on the Super Bowl pick. I I think the 49ers are going to win. But ready for this, Jake? I have them over... Cam Newton and the Patriots. Wow. In the Super Bowl. They're going to be back in the Super Bowl again. Wow. Cam yes. Newton to the Super Bowl. Cause dropping yeah. the hammer on us. I did not <laughs> see that coming. Jimmy Garoppolo's revenge game. Wow. I need some time to process that, that we might see Cam Newton in a Patriots uniform sitting next to Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl. I never thought I'd see that day come. But it, it is coming. And, Kaz, I, I forgot to mention, I can't avoid you at all because I, every Met game I watch behind a home plate is Count on Costellos uh, for the best brand. So I don't even know what that is, something with Ace Hardware, but your a name is everywhere. Store, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a hard. It, it, yeah, it's Costellos Ace Hardware. I, unfortunately, I don't own that, Jake. Oh, I but thought you did. Okay. Yeah, I saw um, Nick Mangold the other day tweeted that his barbecue sauces are now available at Costellos Ace Hardware. So I asked him. Am I no longer your favorite Costello? He said I was 1D now, so I'll take it. <laughs> All right, well, make sure you get some sauce out of that from him. Get him yeah. to send you some of your own name, for the for your namesake at least. Anyways, the Jets and the Bills face off Sunday in Buffalo at 1 o'clock, and the man who will be calling that game on the radio on ESPN Radio 98.7 is Bob Washusen. And Bob Washusen joins us next right here on Gangs All Here from the New York Post. You hear him on ESPN for college football games. You hear him on ESPN radio talk shows as well in New York on 98.7 FM. As he, like me, has been ranting and raving about the saga that is the New York Mets. But this show is all about the Jets as we preview the season. It's Bob Shoes, and you can follow him on Twitter at ESPN Bob. Bob, thank you for joining us. And I know this is going to be weird for you because tell us about how you're calling Sunday's game and how you expect to call um, all the road games for the Jets this season. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the same story being told by just about every local broadcast crew in America, regardless of the sport, you know, unless, you know, it's an ESPN situation where they're sending you to a bubble 
everybody is staying home. Um, and I get it. You know, the less people on team planes, the less people on the road in hotels, airports, reasons to potentially either contract or spread this thing. Uh, but it's a very different way to do this job. Um, you know, ESPN, I'm going to Bristol every week and calling whatever college game I have off of monitors. And then with the Jets, when they're home, that will be the one time that I get the chance to call a game the way you're supposed to be able to call it, which is actually looking at the field and seeing what's happening. We'll be at, at MetLife Stadium, although it'll be empty. But when the Jets are on the road, we'll be doing the same thing. We'll be going to their facility and uh, doing the best we can off of a television feed. And it is, it's not ideal because there are definitely things that I look for and see when I'm there that I can't see when I'm doing the game off of TV. But our job is just to bring the games as best we can to everyone. And so we'll, we will, you know, nobody feels sorry for us about having this job. We get to go call games for a living, but it's, uh, it's not the best scenario this year. Well, it's tough too, Bob, on the radio because you really have to, you know, bring the ultimate insight and let people know what the hell is going on. And you're, you're, you know, you have the same vantage point as someone, you know, as me watching on my couch having a beer. Um, is Are they just giving you one angle or are there going to be multiple monitors and angles or is it just one? You know, it, it really doesn't matter because you only have two eyes that can look in one direction. So I'm looking at what you're looking at at home 95% of the time. ESPN, we do have an all-22 camera, but the players are so small on that camera, I can't see what number a player's wearing. So that's largely useless because, you know, that's great for the, the analysts. The analysts can see coverage concepts and, you know, who may have made a key block or blown an assignment, something like that. But my job is in that moment to tell you who has the, the football and where they are. And, you know, if a team's got two or three different running backs, like the Jets have two or three guys that could be in the backfield that are all relatively the same size person when it's a camera that's on the roof of the stadium shooting the entire field and all 22 players. So, um, yeah, I, I will pretty much be beholden to whatever somebody's looking at on their television on their couch. But, you know, obviously we're not talking to most people that are in their house on their couch. We're talking to people, you know, kids have soccer games and whatnot. And they're out and about and they're trying to stay in touch with the game, even though they can't be home in front of the TV. Yeah, Bob, I've noticed with watching the baseball games and from having covered baseball in person, like it's it's little things that are getting lost, like when the runner's running from second and the camera's on the outfield. There's a deep ball to the outfield and, and like Michael K or Gary Cohen, they can't see the runner on second base. And so all of a sudden there's a guy scoring and they're, they're kind of catching up or sometimes too a ball is hit and they can't watch the outfielder. So they don't know if it's going to be a home run. And all of a sudden it's like, and it's a home run. <laughs> like it, it goes really quickly. It's just kind of little things, I think. But, you know, overall, I think the experience should be should be the same for the listener, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, football has similar scenarios. Like the perfect example, because I had this 10 times on Saturday night for ESPN when a deep ball is thrown. You know, when I'm calling that Jet Cowboy game last year and they throw the 90-yard touchdown pass or whatever it was, and Robbie Anderson gets behind the defense. Well, Sam Darnold throws the ball, and you can see he's throwing it literally as far as he can throw it. My eyes immediately go downfield, and I see, all right, who's the intended receiver, and is he open? Is he being double covered? Does he have a step? You know, that this might be an interception. On television, all you're doing is looking at a very kind of tight shot of a football flying through the air because you're not seeing that, that total picture. So now I'm just kind of waiting for the ball to land before I have any idea who they're throwing it to or if the guy's open. And, and you know, a guy catches, you throw a swing pass to a running back in the flat and he runs to the sideline, and the camera shoots the running back, but all of the field numbers are lost. 
or I can't see the down and distance markers, exactly what yard line he's being tackled at. Did he pick up a first down? How many yards did the play go for? I don't really know. I'm going to give it my best shot, you know, but if you're at the stadium, you can very clearly see the line of scrimmage where the play started from, and you can see the down and distance markers, and you can see all of the numbers on the field. So I'm going to lean on my experience. I've been doing this for close to 25 years. I, you know, I kind of know the geography of the football field, but there are things that I've taken for granted all these years because my eyes can go where I want them to go when I'm there, where you just can't do that when you're watching on a television. Well, Bob, we, we know you're one of the best and you're going to crush it no matter if you're in Guam or if you're in Florham Park. So uh, <laughs> as long as there's as long as there's an internet reception and a, a microphone and everything technically is working, we know you will do a hell of a job and uh, you might have to close your eyes this season watching the Jets at some point. Um, unfortunately, you can't because you have to tell us what's going on. I know I'll be home closing my eyes and then yelling with Kaz many Sunday nights and Monday mornings this year. What's your overall thoughts? Obviously, a lot of people down on the team, but um, I think you tweeted the same as us, 7-9 and nine this year. Just give us your overall thoughts on the team. Yeah, I mean, the schedule, at least on paper, is harder than it was last season. Kaz and I have been talking about this for two years now. There's a reason the general manager got a six-year contract, and there's a reason the general manager, before this specific season, traded their best player basically for picks. And they, they, they have said, look, there's actions and words, right? Words are, oh, we're not punting on the season. We think we can be a playoff team. These guys have a chip on their shoulder. And all of that is true. The coach, the quarterback, they're going to go out there and do the best they can to play as hard as they can and win every single game. And that's exactly what they should do. And hopefully, if they can do some of that this year, the guys that they have that they think can be the core of this team going forward will learn how to win and will experience some success. And that can only be a good thing. But those are the words. Their actions scream that it's not about this season. If it was about this season, they wouldn't have $30 million of cap space going into next year, and they wouldn't have traded their best player for draft goods. So, and by the way, I have no problem with how they've approached this year. I mean, I've said this too, and Kaz and I've talked about it. Just because the rebuilding projects of John Idzik and Mike McCagnin went horribly off the rails doesn't change the reality that Joe Douglas now inherits, which is he has to rebuild. And that, that's just what this roster is. And, you know, Jet fans want to hear that the way, like, the four-year-old wants to see broccoli on the dinner plate. Like, I get it. You want dessert. And you've been eating broccoli for 10 years. But it doesn't change the fact that that's what you have to eat because it's good for you and because you have to get through your vegetables or you're allowed to have dessert. And right now, unfortunately, Joe Douglas is doing, I think, what he absolutely knows he has to do when he honestly looks at the roster that he inherited. And, and I think he's approached it the right way. Rebuilding the offensive line, drafting a big left tackle for a guy that I think is absolutely a franchise quarterback is going to be here for a long time. You know, it, it doesn't change the reality of this specific season that I think if they're 500 or better, then they really did a tremendous job this year because, uh, you know, I just, you know, you can't fix it all in one season. Bob, I like your analogy. The broccoli is a great analogy. I and hate broccoli, I, by the way. I, I don't eat broccoli, <laughs> never have. So my mom never made, made me eat the broccoli. That's what Jake, I'm Jake, Jake only eats desserts. That's why he's a Jets fan. Only chicken fingers. <laughs> um, I agree with you 100%. I, I think that, you know, that this is what they're doing. Uh, you know, maybe they can surprise some people. That I, I think I do think there's a chip on their shoulder. I buy into that. I don't know how far that will take them, but how does this affect Adam Gase, Bob? He's the one piece in this whole thing where he doesn't have a six-year contract, and you know when if the Jets are down 14-0 on Sunday, it's going to be, ah, oh, fire Gase, fire Gase. You know, we saw that last year when they were they were 0-3. It was everyone wanted to throw him overboard three games into his time here. 
How did the Jets kind of handle him, Bob, in terms of this long-term vision? Well, I mean, I think, and we've talked about this as well, I mean, I think he's tied to the quarterback, right? Like, if the quarterback passes the eye test this year, if we're 10, 12 games into the season and Jet fans are like, all right, all that Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, what, that's out. We've got our guy. Well, if, if you're that confident because you're watching Sam Donald play, then, then Adam Gates gets credit for that because that really is why he was brought here. He's a you know an, a, an offensive-minded coach that was supposed to be here to spin what was always a defensive-minded you know guy in that seat with a young franchise quarterback. So that's why I'm not putting statistical benchmarks on it or a number of wins or even a record on this year. You know, if this really is about building for the future, there is no more important theme building for the future than the development of the quarterback. And if the quarterback takes the steps forward that I know they hope he will take, well, then then that's tied to the head coach and the head coach should get credit for that. But and then there's some people that are never going to be happy with Adam Gase. I mean, they just made up their mind that he can't do this. Um, but I think the jury is still very much out. He had one year and his quarterback got mono to start the season. And they were already behind the eight ball. You know, but he gets credit for the second half of last year. And I think he needs to, you know, have Sam Darnold. And, you know, hopefully Sam Darnold stays healthy and an offensive line can actually block for him. The offense will start to look like what an offense is supposed to look like. If the Jets, Bob, say they start out first half of the season, they're in the race. Say they're three and three or they're four and three. Would you like to see them use some of that 31 million that they have and try and make a pull off a blockbuster trade? Bring in someone pass rush, bring in a receiver, or do you see them kind of standing pat and just going with the guys they got? Only if that player that they're bringing in, that they are a thousand percent certain that player would be kind of building block here for five to seven more years type player that they would want to go get with their cap space during the offseason. You know, sometimes that player kind of falls to you where, you know, you can go get a guy and you're sitting there saying, you know, if we're not going to get him now and maybe we do have a season that we can make a run here and we feel like this guy could really make a difference, we would be going to get this guy in the offseason anyway because he would be part of our long-term plan. What I don't think that they will do is go and get a rental. You know, I don't think they're going to go and get somebody that is going to, you know, give up draft capital to get a guy that they're not sure six months later they're going to be able to sign. And to me, that would just be the opposite of everything that Joe Douglas has done this past offseason. So, I mean, that would be a happy place for them to be in if they won enough to give you some hope that they could make a playoff run this year, and they would probably be as surprising a playoff team as any if they actually did make that kind of a run. But it's, you know, not impossible. I mean, I, I think they're similar to what they were. I said before last year that if the Jets last year stayed remarkably healthy, if everything fell into place and all of their guys stayed healthy, um, starting with the quarterback, then they could conceivably last year have been a 9 or 10, maybe an 11-win team and been like one of those miracle stories. I think they're that same kind of team this year. If they stay remarkably healthy, everybody, like the, you know, the 2015 Brandon Marshall, um, you know, Eric Decker season, where nobody got hurt, like ever. Um, could they be a 10-win team? Yeah, that, that's possible. Um, and maybe they would then be in that position where they could, you know, surprise us with a, uh, you know, with an acquisition. But I, I don't think that they would go get a guy um, on a short-term basis. All right, last one from me, Bob. Um, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, obviously he's talked about a lot <laughs> last season and this off season. When you looked at him last year, did you think this was all offensive line was the problem he was, was having? Did you think maybe he lost a step? Do you think he was rusty? Did you think Gase wasn't using him right? I mean, these have all been thrown out there. What, what did you see when you saw Le'Veon last year and what are your expectations for him this year? 
Yeah, if I were to kind of slice up the pie chart, I would say that the Adam Gase not using him right, he's lost a step, he's rusty, would be maybe 10 to 20% of the pie chart, and 80 to 90% of the pie chart would be the offensive line. I mean, they just couldn't block anybody. Like, I, one thing I've learned by, you know, sitting in film rooms with all of the guys that I've worked with at ESPN, the first thing they look at when they turn the tape on is, is the offensive line. Can Team A block Team B? And if they can't, then Team B is probably going to win the game. Before we even look at who the quarterback is, who the receivers are, who the running backs are, if Team A can block Team B and Team B can't block Team A, then Team A is going to win the game. And last year, the Jets couldn't block the other team. I mean, this, you know, I think with fantasy football, we get so wrapped up in Madden numbers and PPR and Christian McCaffrey catching the ball out of the backfield. This is still a game that's played at the line of scrimmage. All of these plays that all of these gurus sit up, sit up all night crafting, all of them are based on the jumping off point that my guys can block the other team. So there's a chance for the play to go take place. And last year, quite frankly, they just couldn't block anybody. So, yeah, I mean, I do think now this offensive line, like, who knows? I think they're going to be better. How much better? I mean, that, you know, we have no preseason football. There was, like, no spring program. They, 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 these guys have, I know, spent a good six weeks together or so. And at least last year's offensive line, they were still packing it together, like, the week before the first game. But this is still going to be this Sunday, the first time they get the other team wearing a different jersey and you know in, in an actual live football game so i'm as curious to see how much better this offensive line is than anyone but uh, yeah i i think Le'Veon bell's gonna look like a radically different player this year if the jets can block the bills on Sunday. they will need makai beckton to throw some defensive ends into other counties because he is a mammoth of a man um and he'll need he'll need some help from the other guys as well bob with shoes and we're looking forward to hearing your calls from no matter what city you're in. As long as there's a, a monitor, you got the job done. And you can follow Bob on Twitter as well, at ESPN Bob. You can catch him on 98.7 FM in New York. Bob, enjoy the call, and we'll catch up with you during the season. All right, guys. Be good. That seals the deal for episode 33. Yes, the Jamal Adams edition of Gangs All Here, our New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Alex Camerata for helping me out in producing the show. Subscribe to Gangs All Here wherever you get podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We will be back on Monday morning following the Jets' week one matchup against the Bills in Buffalo. Football is back. Enjoy the game, everyone. Stay safe.